The wheel of time turns and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wibble, and with me are Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. Keely Frank. Hello. And Nick Wick. Hey, guys. You can find us at wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com slash wattcast. Your support means a lot. Even $2 at the Two Rivers tier helps. Join us at the $5 Tar Valentier and you'll get special bonus episodes in the White Tower where we talk with guests about other fantasy series like Dune and The Witcher. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at wattcast.net with the subject line questions and we'll read them here on the show. For those unfamiliar, The Wheel of Time is an epic fantasy series by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. We read through the first book already. We watched the first season of the TV show. And today we are digging into book two, The Great Hunt, chapters 31 to 35. Dan, do you want to tell us in brief what happens in the course of these chapters? So in chapter 31, the whole party meets up at the Great Tree. They discover through Horn's tracking that Fane is hiding out in Barthanus. Is that his name again? I forget how we pronounce his name. Sounds right. Barthanus. Barthanus is a new mansion. (laughs) Fortunately, Rand has an invitation (laughs) conveniently. Uh, Varen questions Rand about uh, what they've been up to while they've been staying in the city. Uh, They learn from Varen that the massive statue being dug up outside of the city... um, by the king is a sangreal. In chapter 32, the group attends Barthanus's uh, party, breaking into smaller groups to not draw suspicion. Uh, and learning more about the great game, Rand realizes how little he actually knows about it. Uh, he has an encounter with uh, Barthanus and also stumbles into Tom, who is performing at the party. Tom is informed about the current status of the horn, but as much as he'd like to get involved, he refuses to get involved and tries to shy away from it and stay clear of uh, Rand and everything going on with him. Mm-hmm. In chapter 33, Hearn shows uh, Rand the waygate. Um, they he, they find a way to excuse themselves from the party and go out to the courtyard where the waygate's stationed at. Um, Rand opens it to only Rand opens it only to immediately encounter uh, Mashi Shin, the Black Wind. Uh, Mashi Shin shouldn't be able to exit the waste, but somehow is able to. Uh, Rand channels the One Power and blasts. Um, it's kind of not super descriptive, but somehow mm-hmm. generates an energy blast at Mashi Shin while Loyal manages to close the gate. Um, Barthanus tells Rand that Fane is heading to Toman Head, where he'll be waiting for Rand just as they're as Rand and his uh, party are leaving the the mansion. Uh, mm-hmm. This draws suspicion from the group after Rand tells them. Uh, some think it's a trap, but Rand's determined to go to uh, Tom and Ed. In chapter 34, Tom returns to his room only to find that uh, Dina has been murdered and her assassins lie in wait to ambush him. Uh, he's quicker than the assassins and is able to best them, killing one and interrogating the other. 
Tom believes that Barthanus is responsible, but the innkeeper Zira informs him that Barthanus has been murdered and Galdrion <laughs> is responsible. Uh, Tom heads out with vengeance on his mind. Meanwhile, Patton Fane has reached Tommen Head. We get some of his perspective there. Um, and he's gathered information on the invading uh, Shan Chen. He goes about a plan he has conspired, which uh, involves handing over the chest with the horn and dagger to Torak. Uh, he tried. Who is who is the lord? The local song. Yeah, Shan-chan, the local right? Shan Chen. Have we we've seen Torak is the one that yeah, is the same yeah. lord that uh, took. Uh, I'm spacing on his name right now, but the the sea. Bail Doman. Yep. Bail Doman. Yeah, captive in or a few chapters earlier. Uh, so Patton Fane has this plan devised in mind so he tries to entice Turak who is able to open the chest somehow they they haven't explained how Turak has this knowledge but he's able to open the chest using the horn to con- and he tries to convince uh, Turak to use the horn to conquer the land and take mm. the white tower down Turak is kind of disgusted by this and informs Fane that he's going to give the horn as a gift for the empress uh, that he serves uh, but this ex- instead of uh, worrying Fane or getting him upset this actually um, excites Fane who wishes to manipulate a person in high power so he he now yeah. sets his sight on the <laughs> Empress instead of Turok and tries to convince Turok to take him <laughs> to the Empress. And then the last chapter, uh, 35, studying t- uh, Sofu, they... Is it Sofu? Just, uh, I don't know yep. if I'm pronouncing that right, but... oh, so, so it's like a real soft T, yeah. That's so what I cool. thought. Yeah, so the, the group heads to the steady where they're um, trying to access the waygate to get to um, Toman Head. Uh, they meet more of Loyal's uh, species, and uh, along the way, they encounter at the the center of their little town within the steady. There's this giant stump of like the greatest tree. Uh, in that study and they encounter three IEL women who begin to charge at them. There's a little conflict, but before any violence ensues, mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, Ogier gets between them and, and stops the encounter um, and they, they part ways. Uh, Matt and Perrin, or I think more specifically, Matt tries to convince uh, Rand that they're after him based off of their encounter previously with an oil. Uh, wow, I can't even... <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're, they're looking for he who comes with the dawn. Yeah, I, I forget. Like the, I think that's the name. Um, the Karakarn. The Karakarn. Uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. And they're convinced it's him because they can't think of any other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're the you're the one Iel we know. Yeah. So they they make this like very uh, loose <laughs> assumption based off their little bit of knowledge they have. Um, and that's pretty much the end of the chapter. Oh, and then we get a, a rather, in my opinion, cringy little bit of dialogue about the dynamics between the men and women Ogier yeah, and how they, yeah. they marry and how it's not too different according to Rand from the way that humans in the land marry uh, which I'm sure mm. we'll discuss more <laughs> but yeah that's that's pretty much the end of that chapter it doesn't really there's not really much of a cliffhanger um, yeah it kind of ends on like I was expecting some kind of cliffhanger but it just kind of ends on the the, the marriage topic and Loyal being very concerned about getting married <laughs> yeah, if he stays too here. long or gets, <laughs> yeah if they find out too much about him he's worried that a female ogier will uh, propose to him and he won't really have a choice except to accept mm-hmm. i hope they okay. like they i hope they represent that in the show because i think that's like one of my favorite parts of the book is like how nervous loyal gets about like his mother <laughs> like finding out and like the elders finding out and getting him married right yeah the reminders that despite being like 90 years old or something that he is still a child or at <laughs> yeah late adolescent by ogier standards I guess um, ticking ticking time bomb why 
the the big cliffhanger overall, if not for the chapter itself, is that the horde is going to be on its way to the the heart of the Shan Chan Empire soon, right? Like that, like uh, um, wow, or you just said it. Number Turok, Tur- Lord Turok is going to have it sent back to Shan Chan, uh, right? So uh, so they've got to get to Toman Head, where all the stuff has been happening, like away from the main characters. We've had everything happening with the Shan Chan invasion and the White Cloaks who are nearby and on the trail of the mall. So it's all coming to a head, presumably, at Toman pretty soon. <laughs> the aptly named uh, convergence point for all the separate plot threads so far. And yeah, a lot of things happening in Karien and involving uh, all the, the Dice Daimar stuff and Lord Barthen is. Now, you might have said it, Dan, but we, we, had, we did get confirmed that he was a dark friend, right, in the course of these, and that, that's why he's going along with Thane stuff. And they make the assumption, or... yeah, the party makes the assumption after um, Horan sniffs it out, I, like when they're trying to determine where Pen and Fane's located, he kind of, rec- I think mm-hmm. they he tracks them down to the mansion using his, his sniffing ability, and Darren kind of just assumes that he's a dark friend if they're kind of hoarding or protecting yeah. the like the dark friend the other dark friend so and she makes a comment about how like dark friends are in higher places as well they're not just like kind of lower lives and do we know um sorry if i pull back the curtain for the listeners i think we're all going to be a little rusty on these chapters because due to a scheduling issue we had to delay a week after we read uh for our discussion um so i'm, I'm trying to remember did we also find out king galdrian might be a dark friend or we we it seems that he probably had Dana murdered, uh, and then Tom is going to go get vengeance. But do we know what, why at all that he did? That? I'm sure that was intimated or or explained in that chapter, but uh, but I'm struggling to remember on air now what, what, how, think, how he got so tangled in it. I don't think they said that Galdrian was a dark friend. I think that Tom just took, like, they implied Tom took their revenge on Galdrian for, for killing Dina, right? I don't think they actually. Right, said it was, he was related a to the great game, though. So he married, or he uh, murders and has like the Barthaness assassinated because he thinks Rand courting uh, him is kind of an act of treason mm-hmm. or kind of inciting the against game. The, so against the as king. like a yeah against the king. So the king in retaliation, uh, and he and there's word about Tom speaking with Rand. So I think that incites right. him, and he has him murdered. Or has her murdered? Uh, well, he's they're trying. They're trying to kill Tom, right? Dana is not actually the target. She, she's, she's kind of yeah. She was kind of a collateral, I think, in in kind of a fridging moment. Yeah, get it. The, the uh, at this point between the show and and the book, uh, the two of them, the the classic uh, killing of um, uh, killing of a female partner for advancing the plot motivation of one of the male characters, which of course we talked loads about with Perrin in the show season one, and now here we're getting where it actually happens in the book are for Tom so we don't have to did not wind up having to wait very long for him being motivated although at this point he's not really he's not really rejoining the main story yet right because he's on this mission to kill uh to kill King Galdry so we don't really know how he's going to wind up tied back into the other the but I think uh, the reader can assume that he's now getting tied back into things. It felt yeah. a little bit to me that it was like a way of... It felt a little cheap because instead of him having to make the hard decision, they just kind of murder her. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he didn't really have a choice but to kind of come back to the life he was trying to leave. So I think it would have been a much harder decision if he had to consciously make the choice versus having mm-hmm. his life kind of turned upside down again. It seems to be I the easy the, way out for a fantasy character. Going through, going through it the first time, I felt the same way. Going 
going through it this time, I just keep thinking it's those Taveran like fate things mm-hmm. going on where he just he had to be looped back in, so it's just the the cause of like the pattern, if you will. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That yeah, just just being around these folks is a good way to get uh, to get killed or maimed <laughs> or otherwise drawn into. That does make that concept pretty creepy, because if you can, mm-hmm. if you're hanging around Rand, then you have no idea if somebody's going to get murdered around you, or if you're going to lose something, or kind of like the the sea merchant getting pulled into the whole Sean Chan arc was kind of not his choice at all. Should we go into? Um, I guess we could just go through what whatever our highlights are along. Uh, Killy, were the, were there any were there any big points you wanted to talk about um, throughout the chapters? Like uh, like what were the, what were the major takeaways for you? If you remember from what we were going to record this last week. Um, I think I was a little bit frustrated along the way with how people were acting about the Waygate um, and the fact that they they weren't listening to Rand when mm-hmm. he said that um, like where Pad and Fane was going. Like I thought that that was pretty fucking clear. Like he he's leaving this message, and the whole time they're like, oh well, if he shows up, like maybe he'll be there like, of course he's gonna fucking be there <laughs> like that that was kind of annoying um the fact that they walk up to the way gate before ingtar anyone shows up and ran just pulls the leaf thing off of it and it starts opening so mm-hmm. the match and shin comes out the first time I'm like you fucking idiot really quickly like, yeah. yeah like why would you wait for them to fucking get there did you learn <laughs> nothing from the last time um and then the whole thing about like well, they were talking about oh how serious the way gates are and at no point does anyone say like to everyone else like we've done this before like it might be different but we've done it before um, well that's so... that's what Rand keeps like like loyal is the one being like we shouldn't we shouldn't do this right we should we should we should wait this is dangerous um and or is it or is it Hurin? Uh, and then Rand, and then Rand keeps being like, "I can do it. It's here, and it's been done. It's fine. It's gonna be fine." And then opens it to immediately have yeah. Shin there. And it, so a lot of the language around the waygates was just it. It just didn't really fit with other things that had happened. Um, and the only thing I don't remember if they said this before, but they said uh, in chapter thirty-four, I think that whoever blows the horn of Valyria is bound to it. Mm. And I don't really know what what all that's supposed to mean, but I thought that was the first time that they really said that. That. Yeah, I, it, it might be. I, th- I think we only the main thing we knew or learned uh, in, in about the horn so far was that the call will answer for anyone, like mm-hmm. even even the Dark One himself. Uh, that presumably if Balls Mom blows the horn, then all the dead heroes will serve him. I don't think we knew that. Yeah, about the whatever it means for the other way around that the person who blows it will be bound to the horn. Related to Rand being able to open the way gate. So I remember a discussion we had with the first book Mm -hmm. and we were under the assumption that you needed to channel the one power to open it. Mm -hmm. Because I know we had that whole conversation with the show versus the book and how they're able to open it without... You don't need the power of the book was the thing, right? That's Oh, but they added it to the show show that you need the one power. So that complicates things because then we were wondering how Pat and Fane opens it. Did they Mm -hmm. state that as a requirement? I forget what the context was of that conversation, but I remembered it when I was reading this this section because I, I was think like, wait, how did Rand open it without the I think power? you guys talked you talked about it in one of the more recent ones where you were talking about the portal stones I think and how they tri- mm-hmm. there we th- we you guys are surmising that they're combining the portal stones and way gates as like transportation mediums uh yeah, to like reduce yeah. reduce the amount of mm. kind of confusion that could be caused around them yeah and I, and I guess the show never explicitly said that you need well maybe it did i'm not i don't remember if they explicitly said you needed to channel but we see moraine having to do it every time and to open it up with the one power there's no leaves there's no carving 
mechanism on on the show version of it it seems to work like like the waystones like you're like you're saying nick the combination thing was speculated um so maybe we'll find there's another way maybe maybe pot and fane is going to be a channeler maybe one of the dark friends working for him as one there i guess there's a lot of ways they could explain how he was able how he's been able all his back and forth. which i guess um with the waygate here being inside the manor presumably barthen is built his manor around around the waygate on purpose and, and I'm, i guess uh, i'm curious if this is like long-term stratagem thing uh, like the the dark one attempting to have control for that transit, since that was such a major plot point in the first book of how the, how the Trollocs and Shadowspawn were, were getting everywhere around them. So maybe he has control over a lot of the network. Um, but we but now apparently something's going on with Machin Chin, uh, which we know is not not related to the Dark One, and will in fact eat any of the Dark One's creatures or followers that go in. There. So uh, another it like remind. It's funny. I've been playing a lot of uh, Civilization Six recently, and it reminds me of like <laughs> when you have an enemy around you and you just buy a piece of land so that they can't like travel through it. That's what it felt like. Barthains did uh, here. He's just like I'm going to grab this this ogre <laughs> standing with this waygate, so so I can you know bring some or push some dark friends in or out. Do we know with? In context of the way gate with Mashi Chin being able to come out, though, because they acted surprised he was able to come out of the way gate. Mm-hmm. In the past, I think he had to, they, they said he had to stay within the way gate or he was confined yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. So do we have any idea how he's doing that yet, or is it still kind of left as a mystery? I, Caleb, I think there's actually some lore that co- comes on later in one of the book series that talks about that, but I feel like it's really light. I, I don't know if there's mm. an explanation yet. I, I truly do not remember that at all. My, my impression at this point, or, or the first thing I assumed when reading The Great Hunt, is that it's been gorging because it's been eating so much lately and growing as a result in power. That that was kind of my assumption here, that there's all these people using the ways suddenly in a way that there hasn't been in a long time. And it's and the more more people it eats, the bigger it gets, the stronger it gets, maybe it can get out of. Um, but uh, yeah, it did. I mean, the book, the the show changed it so dramatically, but the but the book, Machin Shin, really, it reminds me so much of the Mashadar Mist and Shadar Logoth. And, and so I don't know if I'm just imputing some of the same rules or the same the same desires that it has to to infect and consume. I guess the main main difference being Machin Shin wants to eat you, and Mashadar wants to spread through the entire world and everything to draw. And now we see, um, you know, Fane presumably doing the same thing that happened with with Mordeth before, where he's just like you said, Dan, just so invigorated. The moment he finds out that there's a higher political power, he can attach himself to 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 uh, leech off and and to accomplish whatever his ultimate purposes are. Like in his manipulations, yeah, he's just going to go straight for it, which feels very Shadar Logoth to me from what we learned of how that place was ultimately destroyed. I thought that was fun with Fane. <laughs> he just was like his whole dynamic with that conversation and getting excited about learning about the Empress and all that was. Mm-hmm. It just was like a fun character moment. Good interaction between him and um, why am I spacing on his name right now? But uh, the, Turok. the Turok, yeah. And the I like the the little beat there. I don't have the line in front of me, but it's something like uh, Fane says something he's not supposed to, which is e- easy in in the Shanchan courts, and gets like smacked across the head onto the ground by. Mm-hmm. To rock second in command, and the next line is something like "Fade decided in that moment exactly how the man would die," or <laughs> some, like, some, something like, 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 like plan, death or... planning his method there. <laughs> yeah, just the the way he interacts with the world. Uh, it's it's. I continue to yeah. Also, really enjoy his his extreme cartoon <laughs> villainy. Um, it, it's just very fun. Uh, his his uh, all, yeah, his private sniggering and laughing and then. 
maniacal plotting and hatred of, of everyone that uh, abuses him Gollum style. It kind of reminds uh, me of like the Red Wall villains, like the rats in there. They're just like as maniacal as you can get and everything is just like yeah, seething yeah. with like villainy and just like we'll murder you and cut your throats and it's just it's really mm-hmm. over the top. But it can be fun though and, and it adds a lot of color, but it does come off very satirical at sometimes. And speaking of the of obligatory Lord of the Rings connections, did anyone get the sense in Chapter 31 onward that uh, Ingtar is sporting some real Baromir vibes here about uh, uh, when he like he's not wanting to slow down and do the Carrienne investigation and go to Barthenis? He's like, I just do not like to wait. The horde is almost in my hands. I will have it. I must. I must. And uh, and really seems like even though he hasn't even touched the horn, like it's do it's doing its power possessive thing on him. That that corruptive um, item of power in a in a very Baromir way yeah got those vibes is it so is that what's drawing him i was trying to figure it out because that did stand out to me he's like he's getting so obsessive and intense and we don't really have much more of his personality aside from this really Mm -hmm. really intense desire to find the horn well, he, he, I, I don't he know started out being very noble, right? Like, yeah. And he very does, principled. He does seem to be degrading a little bit in quality, but it just like this desperation to find the horn is consuming. I, I feel like he has this inferiority complex too, because he hasn't even been able to get close to it yet. He oh, keeps being yeah. one step ahead of him. And teleporting around the world. <laughs> But I didn't know I, if it, it has, like, if it, that makes sense. I didn't think about it that way. I was, I was trying to figure out back home, like, what his objectives were. Like, mm-hmm. if his honor or his place in his, um, his rank and everything is tied to finding the horn or if there was like internal objectives he had with getting the horn. I was, just, I was trying to recall if there was something in the beginning about them, why he was specifically mm-hmm. sent um, to go collect the horn. And if that kind of tied into his rationale and why he's being so motivated or intense about his search, but I couldn't remember anything there. That's like, that makes more sense. So if, if you're comparing it to kind of Barmir's response to the ring and kind of getting the corruption there, or the, the desire to be able to use it and, and mm-hmm. return it. Which is interesting to have that and Matt exhibiting basically the same symptoms re- with regard to the dagger withdrawal at this point that we have these these two objects of power, one of which is supposed to be innately evil and corrupting, and the other of which is meant to serve a good purpose, even though it can serve an evil one. And they're, and both of them are having that, that same corruptive magnetic effect uh, of the need to get there, although it's more like withdrawal in Matt's case throughout these, as he gets paler and paler and gaunter and gaunter, and, and Varen's healings do less and less um so it's it's it's, yeah i don't know if there's anything to draw from that other than yeah it's like this is this is a real seems to be a really popular concept in high fantasy especially since lord of the rings and and jordan is clearly a big fan so corrupting source power whether or not with oh sorry no go ahead with how corrupted he's looking and withered and everyone feeling pity for him i wonder (laughs) if they're going to use that as a transitionary state for the actors playing Matt. Yeah. Yeah. With the second scene or with the second season, they can really go heavy on the makeup and kind of the, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, like the possession looking <laughs> like, uh, like the omen or something, or, um, I don't know, just like kind of have the makeup be pretty intense so that that way you yeah. can kind of spend that for half a season. And then finally, when the actor is revealed or they kind of go back to like normal look, it won't be as shocking when it's a different actor. Right, like right. That's a good point. Into it a little bit. That's a good point. That'd be pretty funny. Pretty cool. Like it's a like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. a reveal. <laughs> there, I saw, so um, I, I thought there were a couple of things going on here in these chapters that allude to later. So, so first... Um, and, and this, I remember when we were talking about the TV show, I would, I originally thought the mining scene there was taking, was like the same as what happened here in chapter 31, where they kind of come across 
the the excavation happening with these like yeah, giant yeah. uh artifacts from um the age of legends mm-hmm. so that was that was like a fun thing to revisit for me um because obviously they're hinting at, at at you know those foreshadowing of some sort of like monster things from the age of legends that are that are being dug out of the ground um and then other things i thought were uh one one thing i have in my notes was was varin here states uh, like she, she, she was talking about kind of the, I guess the strongest women who might, yeah, be able, I yeah. forget like, might be able to use one of these tools or something. And she was like, yep. being the the Amarlin, so Swan, uh, Sanche, and then Moraine, Elida uh-huh. being the um, the Aes Sedai who's at the uh, court in, yep. uh, uh, what's it called? Um, in Camelin. Came, uh, uh, yeah, Camelin. And then and then the three in training, she says, right? So yeah, yeah. I, and and perhaps one or two other along with training. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought that was, I thought that was cool because you know you, you start to learn here like the hierarchy of um, the Aes Sedai and who's who's, who's uh, like the strongest versus not. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought she was like really strangely blasé about the possibility <laughs> of, of this. She's like, oh, no big deal that these incredibly powerful artifacts from the age of legends are being exposed uh, even though she also thinks that she she has said before you know like oh, the king shouldn't be messing with this but but she's also like oh it's not going to come to any harm what i said i today would aid a man in channeling uh and, and you know and then she brings up the well you know hardly anybody could survive it but who would do it anyway uh and logain would be even logain would not be remotely powerful enough he'd be burned to cinders by trying and i'm just thinking Varen, you know they're a black aja <laughs> like this is a confirmed confirmed fact now uh you and there's plenty like a plenty of reason you know that they're just wilders running around anybody who could try to fuck with this thing and get maybe they're not going to destroy the world but at least themselves that whoever's around them burned to pieces but she, she seems but even, very <laughs> but even on top of that literally she listed a queen who's romantically yeah, yeah. interested and close to Rand. so she's like oh like she goes through that kind of like <laughs> roster of people that are able to do it yeah. that was funny because it's like oh like instead of just being like oh there's a couple powerful women but not very many she's like literally listing every Mm -hmm. single like woman that could be able to do it and Rand's like right there (laughs) it's like (laughs) all these two power like no big deal they're never gonna be joined together it's like the most obvious foreshadowing for like a final Uh book showdown of like you're gonna need like a queen over here and Rand's gonna be over here and like it's kind of fun now piecing it together because she did give you the roster of who it could be but now that they she mentioned it she should I don't know if she (laughs) intentionally knew she's foreshadowing and she well she she's being she has to be being tongue-in-cheek right no no i feel like it's it's cognitive dissonance she's like totally the Aes Sedai are just way like they're in a place now where they they you know have just been deteriorating for centuries and think that what they know is what's fact and i feel like she's not being Uh tongue-in-cheek i feel like she like legit (laughs) it's just like totally cognitive dissonance like doesn't doesn't see it as a potential option she does say, oh, she does say at the very end, I sort of skipped over, oh, don't worry, Ingtar, I don't, you don't, you don't need to worry, at least not until the true dragon reborn declares himself, and then we will all have enough to worry about as it is, so, uh, no, no need to get up about this, so. And she does phrase most of that as a question, I think it's worth pointing out, like the, you know, what I should die today would aid a man in channeling. Hmm, would, would I, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> would I, who am currently aiding the person that I think might be the dragon reborn al- uh, along this path? <laughs> uh, I think it also kind of shows, like, 
I mean, I know this is just kind of how, like, human brain works, but it's also how many times does something crazy have to happen before they all just start accepting that shit's changing? Mm-hmm. Because, like, anytime that someone's like, oh, no, that, that can't happen. That's never happened before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, every fucking person you meet, you say, is the most powerful in 400 or 4,000 years. Yeah, shit yeah. can happen. Like, open <laughs> right. your brain a little bit to the possibilities yeah. of everything fucking changing. Like this empire we didn't know existed of the, the long-lost descendants of Arthur Hawkwing gone for 800 years. You know, they don't think like, you know, this whole continent we didn't know about. Clearly, uh, there are more things under heaven and earth than are imagined in your philosophy there. The Shanchan are confusing me, though, because why are the White Cloaks seemingly the only ones we're getting a perspective about knowing uh-huh. they're invading? Like, where's the, like, the kings and queens and, like, kind of the ruling bodies? Mm-hmm. Um, like, even the city they're in, nobody's really talking about this invasion. I don't know if they're that far removed geographically, but it seems odd yeah. that nobody within the main cast is aware of this or has any side characters talking about it. Uh, yeah, I feel like it is the geography. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I was going to jump in, Caleb. If you look at the map... Um, there is like where, where, uh, Tillman Head and Falm are, where all the Chanchin are, is like on the westernmost portion of the land. And then mm. the Ara Doman, where the White Cloaks are, is like immediately outside of that. So it's like the oh, White Cloaks yeah. are sort of encircled this area that the Shanchan have taken mm-hmm. um, ownership of. So I don't think it's gotten to the rest of the kings yet besides just kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like sense. an I- isolated peninsula. And we also learned from the White Cloak's perspective from what's-his-name who escapes me at the moment that Tomen he- Head and Falm generally are like largely depopulated in large reasons because like the- these this is like a decaying kingdom where these holdings have been shrinking. There are all these areas that are claimed by a bunch of different political figures, but they don't have any troops there. And there's just like scattered villages and and they they basically like war after war after war has left this area um in an increasingly like wilderland front kind of state like i think it's like if 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 falm was like falm would be in like portugal and like don't like toman head and all that area was like spain and then everything mm-hmm. and like spain was uh and is owned by the white cloaks and whatnot and so everything yeah. to the east of mm-hmm. that is sort of all where everyone else is which now the moment th- now that you say that nick that's i'm looking at this map and be like oh yeah there's another analog for this invasion here which is the uh like the moors com- coming up from the from across the sea to the south into into the iberian peninsula right and establishing like like a stronghold there and gradually taking over like this huge portion of europe in this area um this you know sort of like oh we, we, we totally discounted this huge empire that was across the sea for a long time like you know they're, they're suddenly coming from nowhere and just sweeping across the random aside based off our this was like offline in our group chat but where is north arbor is that like north or like on the map or is that not Remind really what north, north arbor is. north arbor yeah what's north arbor it is the one that looks like a vagina oh, <laughs> like oh that's, that's, tar, that's tar valon that's tar valon yeah, yeah. Oh, did they so I think North Arbor, the yeah, the label, the label on that picture looks like it's saying North Arbor is the place that the whole map is looking at, but it's actually Tarvalon, mm-hmm. and North Arbor is like a part of it, like literally the North Harbor of Tarvalon, yeah. the, the uh, island, right? So that would be too small and specific for like kind of the, the map the book has. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like you can't it's only in that. There. Yeah, it's only in that like that blow up or Tarvalon. Yeah, okay. Which I, I think my 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 ebook edition does not have that other map for some reason. I remember that map distinctly in, in the <laughs> Is that an older edition? Film. Like the smaller specific one of like Tarvalon? Because I don't think the new editions have 
We only have like the big colored map uh, oh. of the whole continent. Oh, I have I have all Kindle like editions and mm-hmm. Kobo Clara editions, and <laughs> it's like super yeah, hard to yeah. see anything on them. Yeah, this one's been super helpful for kind of like going through. Oh, that's a good map. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like full color, like everything labeled. Uh, it was it was good for the first book when they're traveling so much and trying to track it, uh, yep. like all the routes they're taking and following along the river. But I haven't been using it as much for the second book since it, they've been teleporting all over, so it's been really hard to kind of <laughs> yeah. follow. Leaping across the world. Yeah, that, that does make it, um, I find it like in any fantasy, much harder to have a, a hard, firm sense of the geography the moment characters start flying everywhere or teleporting all over because it, it changes your, your sense of scale dramatically once, once the great eagles come in. I'm not sure how I feel about that because I, I don't like it a lot when quick travel becomes the more common way of traveling for a bunch of characters like game of thrones started doing that later in the show and it kind of just cheapened a lot of the distance that they had like your dragon could just get you across from like before they made sound like traveling mm-hmm. north to south and game of thrones could take like a whole season and then all yeah. of a sudden within an episode like daenerys is like flying from like <laughs> the uppermost wall down south in mm-hmm. the span of like an episode or two so like it makes your world feel very tiny when your characters can like teleport across it very quickly like I feel like, I feel like that... that's when the show started going downhill, though, is when they when they first like flew the dragons up north, and then the one like <laughs> died in the ice. That was when to me I was when I was like, okay, this is yeah, no longer yeah. <laughs> any sort of like remotely believable. Yeah, but that gets me worried about like Wheel of Time too. I know it's a different kind of fantasy and it's like a higher mm-hmm. fantasy with more magic involved, but like I get worried when your characters can fast travel so conveniently and so easily yeah. that it. it I well, maybe there, maybe that's no why. There, for it. But they're but they're we're still getting those consequences put in here, right? Because they tried to do the fast travel gate in these chapters, and then Machin Chin is like so much more dangerous than it was last time. Now you can't even get into the ways without Machin Chin like being there but the, waiting. But they're still gonna to try out. fast traveling though. Like they're still going to the steady. Um, yeah, yeah. To fast but, travel, they just have to go a little bit further. Right. Well, that's been this whole like most of this book, right? Has been traveling a good ways on foot, and then getting transported to another world, and then traveling a good ways there and then coming back to travel it so it's still got that kind of heavy travelogue feeling and we also have all these armies moving around we got the, the shan shan very slowly mm-hmm. um well you know slowly by character scale but very quick by army scale coming into the west coast and, and all that so it, feel, it feels like this is i don't know this story is still for me like it has a sense of place and time and narrative thrust taking us between those uh i, I don't i don't know how long maintain that but i do like i said i, I I'm, I'm kind of attracted to the the way in which maybe it's too convenient but the way in which we're all being drawn to Toman head uh, which uh, as which has been foreshadowed since the very beginning of the book as being this place where things are gonna go down and the show has taken that to the next oh, wait. level by i don't remember that what Refresh me. What happened in the beginning of the book that l- led to kind of the foreshadowing? Well, we learned Tommen at the head. very, very beginning of this book that 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 something is going down in Toman Head, and that there's like there there's crazy things going on in the world. The Aes Sedai are talking about sending delegations there. That's like that's part of um, Swan Sanchez, like um, like catch up with Moraine and the others, and they're trying to figure out where to split their forces. Uh, uh, but and, why? What's and, their rationale, though? What news do they do they know about the Shanshan, or what's their explanation for why the Aes Sedai are getting involved? Well, at that point, I think 
that they had they had just heard that there's an invasive force and that there was channeling going on um, and, and and war, but and that something involving the white cloaks. But then we very quickly started getting more and more hints of what was happening there. We started getting the Bale Doman chapters, and then he gets sucked into all of it, and then he's our in to see exactly what's going on with the Shan Chan and with the fact that uh, speaking of things, Varen hasn't anticipated in terms of of what uh, you know what what uh, channelers might do. We have you know the the chain uh, enslave channelers that it's a lot of different factions to be introducing for this book because you have the Aiul now coming down from like the desert and you have the Shan Chen from the like the seas uh-huh. they're really expanding I'm, I'm not against it but it's just interesting that he's expanding the world so much with a bunch of different factions and the world building is so much more intense in this book than it was in the first one and it, it seems to be doing that in like a fraction of the time it took the first book to actually lay anything out so Jordan really got his act together between books and I don't know I guess the first one gave him enough time to actually figure out what he wanted the world to look like and where where he wanted the narrative to go but yeah (laughs) it's very surprising how different this book is from the first one didn't they so yeah i had that same reaction too during my first read through and i i feel like i remember reading that i don't know if you guys talked about this already that the first book was really like his attempt at trying to like get something published in this but it wasn't it wasn't Mm -hmm. intended to have like a series afterwards it was only later on that he then just made that decision is that ring a bell before the end of the first book, as far as I know, he, he I knew think, that yeah, it, the first it was book. going to be, yeah, oh, I, really? like as, as far as I know, like it, what we, from what we read about, about when Tom Darty first approached him about it or, or whichever, whichever way around it was that the, that the original plan was a trilogy and then you know, the Darty knew that Jordan would not be able to restrict himself to that and that, or, or right, that the original plan was a novel. Then Jordan started writing the novel, and it became clear it was not going to be one novel. And then he, before he finished Eye of the World, knew it was going to be a trilogy. And then Tom Doherty was convinced and uh, and had the foresight to sign on for, I think, at least seven books <laughs> contract. At, at that. Uh, but, but I am a little hazy on the details of it, because I know Har- Harriet Harriet was sort of the one who made it happen in the first place as his agent. And, and she was already working at Tor, I, be- I believe, which was you know Jordan's imprint for the rest of his life after, after getting um, Eye of the World published and that was harriet editor uh was she also an agent see this is I'm, I'm too fuzzy on the details yeah it just felt like the first the first book really felt like like a like a pilot tv episode where yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah. you're like okay this could go in a hundred different directions and it could yep. stand out on its own as well and like and then after, everything after that i remember i got really sucked in by by this book and reading it again you can i can remember like why why i was getting more sucked in by this book the first one yeah and was it did we discuss was it the publisher who made the decision to have it be so similar to lord of the rings or was that just i think we had talked about like a yes. lot of fantasy series had to kick off in a very similar style because that was like what the consumers wanted mm-hmm. and then he could turn it into his own thing once he actually got some readers on board with the first book but was that that wasn't jordan's idea to have it be so similar i believe i believe i believe tom darty said in an interview and i i'm not 100 percent sure off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure he said in that interview that i was talking about that yeah that he that he that he proposed to jordan about writing you know a lord of the ring style novel um but uh but you know that's also just one person involved saying that like well over a decade after the series had been underway so i'm not i'm not sure 
um, how much of that is true because because Jordan had not written many. I don't think I don't know if he'd written any published novels under um, uh, under his own world at that point because he was predominantly doing the Co- the Conan novels, which we talked about talked about for a while. That that was like I need before that he was writing a lot of novellas and short stories. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think that was this. we can uh, listeners if you if you want to know with a little more certainty, go back and check out check out our first season there on some of those episodes where we actually delve into those interviews and. The, um, and hopefully at some point we'll go back production history. Uh, any 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 other any other big points people wanted to get to about uh, about these chapters and what happens in them before we wrap up for this episode? So the only the only note I have I have my book notes in front of me. The only one I have for chapter the only note I have for chapter thirty two is I love how all the women are flirting with Randy. Has no idea. <laughs> It's just like it, that scene where he's in like the ball and he's like being trapped oh, by those God. those three wives and they're like my husbands are away and he's like like Pikachu face meme like oh my God <laughs> like you, you should really you should really be careful so when scandalous. your husbands are away yeah. <laughs> just like uh, so that was that was the only other thing that I was uh, that I wrote down in my notes that I thought was really funny it really does it almost feels like self parody at, at at the point of this fall but it is kind of like comedy like lamp more more comedy lampooning of the great games how it feels like to me still than than uh taking it particularly serious uh except until you know until dying but yeah um i don't know i think I, I was i was primed not to enjoy that as uh the rad stuff as much as i would have if we if we hadn't just had all the all the celine chapters on on, on her uh but it is much funnier i thought like that was yeah more entertaining way of, of playing with, with that dynamic I feel like this because I enjoyed some of the ballroom sequence, like at the yeah. mansion. I think it could be really fun in a visual narrative if the show went in a very like Tim, like old Tim Burton direction with how he handled mm. like crazy like uh, stereotypical characters and just had like everything be very extreme. So like really cool visuals, like over the top for everything. Had these very like pish posh like characters, the at giant the wigs and all that. Yeah, like very stylized for everything, and just had the extremes could make it a very fun. Scene because if you play yeah. it up and you have that self-awareness i think it can be really fun if the show takes this too seriously but keeps a lot of this dialogue it's a little concerning so hopefully they don't take the more serious route and they can be a little more self-aware when it comes to a lot of the the dialogue here or if they could just rewrite it to not be so on the nose all the time i think but, like if the this scene played out in the show i feel like rand would jump in the closet with three women <laughs> it's like i feel like it's like <laughs> the show is like so much more explicit about sexuality than the books are yeah and they, they don't seem as shy about it. <laughs> That's true. And the characters have actually heard of sex before at the start of the book, which I don't I don't think is true for, for any of any of the mains at the beginning of I They are really immature in the book compared to the show. <laughs> that is one strong benefit of the the aging them up a little bit and having the cast be slightly more aware. I agree though. I, I think I mean no, we talked about it before, but leaning into like the the kind of silly uh, archetypes that you see here would be a really nice way to reconcile like some of the the dialogue here on the show and I I, w- I think they did it I wish they would do it a little bit more on the show yeah yeah and, and maybe they'll have more room for levity with the story even though this is like the darker things happening in a lot of places in the great hunt I still feel like it find it finds more room for the levity amidst that and and some of the comics go a little better mixed feelings on the steading stuff um, I I do I do like the what you mentioned Nick, the, uh, the the loyal uh, being in trouble with his mom dynamic thing, <laughs> but not, not so fond. 
fond of what you mentioned, Dan. They're just like all, always we have to go into these gender essential discussions going off about like the ways in which women control men and really control the yeah, world. Yeah, it's so binary though. all the damn time. <laughs> like the loyal mom thing is fun because he's like, he's, she's going to try to marry me off right away. Like he, it gives him this cute, like a little kid vibe to him and it's kind of fun. Uh, but the binary is all the time. It's just so strong and so in your face. And I don't know if I would have noticed it as a kid, but just now it's just like he really breaks the genders apart and is so adamant about it with every like reminding you about that every moment he gets. Yeah, and including with Matt at this point, uh, two books into Matt. this. Uh, still be, being like, like, are you too crazy when they point their weapons at the IEL? Like, I don't care if they are IEL. They're still women. Like, and it's just like the most it's and, and, and you know, they're they are. They, besides the fact that they are armed with spears, and he already knows that the, the reputation that the spear, the spear maidens have to begin with, we're already two books into the story about, like, he's met Aes Sedai, he's met women who can call down lightning, and just, and, and just this whole, yeah, yeah still still clinging to the, the notions of those encoded roles, physical, um, and whatever code he has going on. I think when... When I first started experiencing that too, I remember looking at the copy. I, didn't, I looked at the copyright date of the book, and I was like, "Oh, '90s. Yep. Okay. Yep. That sounds about right." <laughs> yeah, just you forget about it when you're not reading, because I don't know. I feel like I'm consuming so much modern media. I sometimes forget the way these were written, and it might reflect the culture of the time. I guess if you want to build a fantasy that kind of reflects some of that, but there is a disparity there versus like watching a modern fantasy and then re- like the show's mm. been removing all of that. So I, I doubt like a sequence like this would ever play out in the show fortunately but it's definitely a reminder of the the time period this was written and kind of the the cultural mindset of that a lot of people held to we probably still would get part which we didn't note about they uh the the three aiel women have like real horror and contempt when they see rand having a heron mark blade the first negative reaction he's gotten to having a, <laughs> a heron mark sword so far and they, uh, they they whisper about he's wearing a sword uh, thing, which we've we've gotten the indication before that somebody has mentioned in passing that the Aiel refuse to touch swords and that they're all all about their spears, but that has not that's been expert. Oh, I forgot about that. Is there a rationale? I know the show's had her using all sorts of weapons in that final. So they they had the Aiel in one episode, Rand's mom fighting them off in that cool beginning snow sequence mm-hmm. on Dragon Mount. She was using like knives and other weapons aside from a spear in that scene though, because in desperation she's like pulling them out of the guards and then like stabbing them with their own weapons. Yeah, did she used so, a sword in that. I thought she did though. So I wonder if they. Oh, she didn't. No, use a just sword? just the knives. Yeah. Does a knife not count because it's a smaller blade? Like, what's the criteria for this yeah, contempt? I guess that's exactly it. Yeah, it's just the. You know, at what at what point does the does the knife become? Maybe maybe they'd be a it's little like a certain like yeah yeah height well, that you have to maybe, reach before it's a problem. Exactly. Do we get an explanation the, for that, or is it just like a cultural thing with the Aiel? No, there's eventually an explanation for it, but I don't think there's one right now. Nope. What about so uh, Dan Keeley? Either of you have any final thoughts on these? Well, I'm still the Steading chapter seemed a little slow. It's interesting mm-hmm. learning more about the like Loyal's uh, kind, like the other Ogiers. I I did like the mansion, some of the stuff there. There always felt to be enough tension uh, racked up, even with the silly Rand stuff and women. I, I liked some of the over-the-top politics and the, the game being played. 
I thought Tom was a badass. I really like that they hint at him being a little crazy now that he loses Dina. Like he smiles at the end of the chapter. That that leads him to be m- more fun than the show version at the moment. I hope they kind of expand upon him because they he only got like two episodes or something like three episodes in the show. They really underplayed his character, and I really like Tom in the first mm-hmm. book. So Which I, proportionally I his... means Dana will then get about what the twelve seconds before they twelve they kill seconds her before off, they probably. kill her. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that. She's uh, gonna have so little screen time if they even bother including her, which they might not. Um, they might actually just skip that because of how little it is in the chapter. I feel like you have to reduce everything in the book down by like a third of what the content is. So she probably will just be cut completely. But or, I do or, like or that. Or the opposite if she gets the Stefan treat. Oh, yeah. But it's fun though. Yeah, I, I liked his character a lot. I think that was one of the highlights. Um, I do wish he had more of a choice with coming back in. I feel like but at the same time, the Tavaran thing that you mentioned, Nick, is fascinating because then it's like it's kind of like a curse that everyone gets touched by. So that makes it a little more interesting. But it's still a little bit like I wish Tom had to have had to have made that choice yeah. himself instead of having an assassination pull him back in without him really having much of a say. Because at this point, he has now like all the stakes and stuff that were drawing him to that life were just removed without him really having a say in it. I think I kind of agree with what um, everyone's been saying. Like, I'm still, if Matt died, I wouldn't care. Like, I'm just kind of, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still tired of his character. And like, when Loyal, at, at one point, Matt says something like, uh, like, oh, well, you can stay and get married now. It's like, are you not fucking listening? Because he just said a thousand times he doesn't want to yeah. get, like, just stop being an asshole. Um, but I did really like, uh, I wrote down, I don't know how to say her name, but is it like Alar or Alar? I wrote down, she's the elderly, elderliest mm-hmm. Ogier. Um, and how they brought out uh, Trail or Trial, who they said was the last Ogier to go through a waygate, and then came out, and there's like he's like dead inside. <laughs> like that was kind of oh. really, that was really fucked up. Oh, am I going into a next chapter? Oh, you might be. I, I, I unless I missed that passage. Yeah, I think that. Okay, might... I might be in the next chapter They're... then. I re- I started reading ahead and then was like, wait, what chapters <laughs> are we doing for yeah, this? Yeah, it was okay. confusing. Then yeah, I'm fine with what everyone else said that like <laughs> Matt can die and. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, then we will get in 36 to 40 next time, uh, if you're being along, folks, and decide to log me out right in the middle, being about to do my end spiel. Uh, so I'll see if I can get it off the top of my head. Like I said, next time, we'll be reading chapters 36 to 40 of The Great Hunt. This episode of Wattcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Uh, Keely, where can people find you on the internet? Um, on Twitter and Instagram at Keely underscore reads. Dan, where can people find you? On Instagram and Twitter under the handle Pansy Dan. And Nick, in which lane of the Dota 2 map can people most typically find you? <laughs> they can't anymore. I had to give it up after I had a baby. Uh, <laughs> they, could, they could find me in the true earth scenarios uh, on Sim 6. <laughs> Nice. Um, and, I'll, and I'll be most likely, if you don't find me editing the show, uh, in the, the lands betwixt of Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah. The first video game that consumed my life in a good while. But you can find us all at Wattcast.net. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wattcast Podcast. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Wattcast. You can also support us in a big way by leaving Wattcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Especially if you lead some words with the review, uh, it makes a huge difference in, in people finding it when they're going, you know, clicking through on the old podcast networks there, looking for something to listen to. And the number one way we get new listeners, of course, is if you tell a friend about the show. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And remember, this is neither the beginning nor the ending of the turning of the wheel of time, but it is an ending. Farewell.
So they don't, what I looked, they don't let you give reviews on Google Podcasts, which is like what the platform I use for podcasts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's like no reviews, no stars, nothing. And I was like searching around. I searched desktop and mobile in there. Yeah. I've never used Google personally other than submitting the podcast to it. So I had no idea what the functionality is there. Well, you have some Google listeners, Caleb. (laughs) Uh, extremely, you might, you might've been one of the two, the first season it was, it was like 400 Apple iTunes, like 200 Spotify, and then like going all down the list. And like Google was like extremely low, even among Android. Apparently I, I don't know what probably my mobile and my desktop. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the, probably the two. 